All right, praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we just want to thank you for the privilege you have to study your word today. We trust you that you will teach us by your spirit, that you will help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we are very excited because we are going to study something new. We are done with the book of Ephesians. Now, like we said, we move to the book of Hebrews. Very exciting book. Every student of scripture should be very excited. The book of Hebrew is the dream of every student of scripture. So we are going to start from Hebrew chapter one, and we'll get to part of chapter two, and we'll end there, then we do our teaching on healing, which we must continue. So in the book of Hebrew, we see salvation. Our salvation explained. We see the new covenant explained. We see the angels and the ministry of angels explained. We see the intercessory ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, the present day ministry of Jesus, which many Christians haven't even heard about, do not even know what it means, explained. <clears throat> then we see the place of the blood in our relationship with God and what the blood does for us, explained. Then who is Jesus? Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? In the book of Hebrew, you will see who Jesus is in a greater detail. Then what happened after he rose from the dead and went to heaven? That we should see in the book of Hebrew. We should see also the necessity to grow, the importance of spiritual growth. We should see all of that. Very interesting book. And I invite you now to this wonderful, wonderful journey as the Lord teaches us and guides us through it. Again, you must listen to hear and understand. You must listen to hear and understand. So the book of Hebrew chapter 1, <clears throat> Hebrew chapter 1, verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to so the fathers by the prophets, I'm using New King James Version, has in this last day spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through him also he made the worlds. So you see, Jesus is God's voice on earth today. He says he spoke in various times, in various ways, in, the, in time past, to the fathers by the prophets, has in this last day spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So you can see here immediately that Jesus is God's voice here on earth today. So nobody can say anything contrary to what our Lord Jesus has taught. Because there's no other voice. He is the voice. And then look at Luke chapter 9, 35. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. He's appointed God's spokesman. So how does he speak to us today? By his written word. By the scriptures. The word of God. He is the truth. He's the living word. The scripture is about him. He is the theme of the scripture. He is the focus of the scripture. 
because all God's plan for mankind was consummated in Christ only. God didn't have plan B about saving us. So John 1, 4, 14 says, And the word was made flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word became flesh. Jesus is God's word. Living word. John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip founded Natalia and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophet did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He's the theme of scripture. He's, he's the culmination and, and the total consummation of scripture. Everything points to Christ. Because everything is about salvation of mankind. Divine plan consummated in him. So John 5.39, cite the scripture for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. The scriptures testify of him. So if you want to hear God's voice about Jesus, if you want to hear what God is saying, if you want to hear what Jesus is saying, you hear what scripture is saying about him. You hear what scripture is, the testimony of the Holy Spirit about him through the scripture. John 1, 1 John 1, 1, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. So is the personification of God's revelation. He is the word of life. So, and then, um, his life, his practical life, he lived a life and said, I've shown you example. His life speaks. The Bible said action speaks. So his life speaks. What you see him do, his life speaks. So his life is him talking. The example he showed us speaks louder than words. So the Holy Scriptures, like we said, is a witness of Christ. It's Christ, okay, again, speaking through his life. So when we read the Holy Scriptures and we see his examples and we see what the Holy Spirit witnesses about him in the New Testament, especially in the letters, what his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension fulfilled for us, those are Christ speaking through his spirit to us. He's alive and speaking through his spirit to us, witnessing about those things that the word became flesh, witnessing about the truth. He is the truth. He is the truth. When you hear the witness of the Holy Spirit about him, you are hearing him. So he is God's voice. You can't teach, preach, say anything contrary to what the scripture has witnessed about Christ. You're creating another voice. You can't go outside this example. You're creating another voice. Jesus is God's final revelation on earth. So, and he's the heir of all things, of the kingdom. John 13, 3, that Jesus knowing fully, knowing fully away that the Father had put everything into his hand. Everything of the kingdom of God is in his hands. And he had come from God and was now returning to God. Everything. And we think you have the whole world in your hand. Not just the whole world. Everything about the kingdom of God is in his hands. Luke 10, 22. All things have been delivered to me 
by my father. All things. So when, this, when the book Bright of Hebrew was talking about it, it says, it says, it says, uh, and whom he appointed heir of all things. He's the heir of all things of the kingdom. And so the only way we assess those things of the kingdom is when we believe in him, we become co-heir with him. We become co-heir. We become joint heir with him. For instance, he said in Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all powers is given unto me in heaven and on earth. You see what I'm saying? All powers, everything in his hand, everything, all powers. And so in this, this scripture we read, something that the scripture says they are very, very interesting, that through him also he made the worlds. That's through Jesus that God made the world, created the world. Amazing revelation. That created the world through Jesus. So it's not just this Jesus, when we hear a story about Jesus, we should get to know who he is. How powerful. How powerful. In verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had, when he had by himself poured our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He said that Jesus is the, is the express image of God. He is the brightness of divine glory. In Colossians 1.15, who is the image of the invisible God? And that's absolutely true. The firstborn of, the, of every creature. For by him were all things created. Remember we read, he said that God created the whole world through him. Now I continue to say the same thing. By him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or things were created, and all things were created by him and for him. So when you Begin to use the name of Jesus. You should know that you should know who you are talking about. You, you can't be look, equating him with demon spirits. You can't have fear. Because all this is what everything was created by him and for him. They serve, he's the Lord of all. He's the brightness of the glory of God. He's the, he's the image of the invisible God. He's God in the visible form. That's exactly what they're telling us here. Look at uh, John 14, 9. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet has thou not known me, Philip? You don't know who I am, and I've been here. Maybe you've been going to church. You still don't know him. He that has seen me has seen the Father. If you see me, I'm the visible manifestation of the invisible God. I am God in the visible form. That's where I am. And he said, and how can, how says that show us the Father? You see me, you see my Father. I am my Father in the visible form. I am the visible 
representation of the invisible God. God became man. God became man. It's the mystery. It's a serious mystery. Nobody can go to the depth of it. It's a serious mystery. Just leave it there. And then he said he uphold, upholding all things by the word of his power. Means he created and put everything in place. Only God can create. It's amazing. Colossians 1 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven. Exactly what we've read before now. We read it in Colossians 1 16. All things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible, invisible, by him. So when, we, when, you, when you're talking about Jesus, you should know who you're talking about. You should know, you should know how powerful he is. You should know we, who you, he, the glory that he has. Verse 3. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high sea, that when he said it is finished, that finished means that the, 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 the ministry of the, of the, 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 of the priest in the, in the temple is over. His, his blood has been shed as a sacrifice for our sins. So there's no more need for that ministry. That's why the, the curtain was ripped into two. That holy of holies, no more. No more, was no more needed. But then he went to heaven. He continued because he went to heaven to do something, which we're going to see after. It was when he finished that, that God said, you can now sit down. It's now done. It's now done. When he had by himself poured our sin, sat down at the right hand of his majesty on high. When he had presented his blood at the altar of heaven, we walked in, presented it as our great high priest, and presented his blood, and it was accepted. And God said, your job is done. Your work is done. Because that blood must be brought to the altar of God. So in Hebrews chapter 9, 24, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands. You see? He did not enter into a regular temple, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven. It's safe to appear now before God on our behalf as our great high priest. The, the, the high priest goes to, to, before God on behalf of men. He takes their sacrifices. He takes it there to offer it. So Jesus took his own sacrifice that he made on our behalf and entered into heaven. It's safe to appear now before God on our behalf. On your behalf. Think of it. On my behalf. He went there on your behalf and on my behalf. What did he do? And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like he will go today, tomorrow he'll go again, another day he'll go again. No. Like the high priest here on earth to enter the whole most holy place year after year with the blood of animals. If he had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again. He would go, come back, die, then go back again. No. He says, he says, if it had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, not twice, he has, entered, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin 
by his own death as a sacrifice. That one singular sacrifice, that blood he brought at the altar, atoned for the sins of mankind, all sins of mankind. So you don't need another sacrifice. So in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the blood, of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, to atone for your sins. If you entered on my behalf, then he atoned for my sin. I don't need another sacrifice. He atoned for, he said, he said to purify you, making you right with the Lord, making you righteous, making you acceptable to God. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. That's what God instructed them, and that's what Jesus, our high priest, great high priest, did. He entered with his blood before the altar of God in heaven, not, not this earthly tabernacle, a heaven, presented it, put it on the altar. Let me read it again, Leviticus, Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the body is in, is in his blood. So I have given you the blood on the altar. It has to be brought to the altar. So Jesus died and took his blood to the altar of heaven to purify you and me. He went there on my behalf, went there on your behalf. You have said this thing should give us good conscience when we come before God. So in Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, because of what he did, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of what he has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So he teaches us what Christ has done in that when he had by himself poised our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But some Christians don't believe this. <laughs> they don't believe it. They are still trying to purge their sin, presenting all manner of sacrifices. It's up to you. So our confidence before God, it should be in the atoning ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. That blood that he shed. So he went in for you and for me. If he went in for you and for me, didn't he achieve the purpose? Didn't he? Now, verse 4 shows us something interesting. That Jesus is higher than angels. Because some people teach that Jesus is an angel. He's not. He's not. Verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he... When, when he again brings the first son into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So you see, angels worship him. So he's not in the class of angels at all. And then there's in, in Philippians 2, 9, because he says he has a, a better name than all the angels. In Philippians 2, 9, wherefore God also had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So he's higher than angels. He's not an angel. Some religious religious think they say he's an angel. No, he's not an angel. He's higher than all of them. He's far higher than all of them. Number two is that angels are not sons of God. 
Now, there's this scripture, there's this scripture, very interesting scripture here that has caused real confusion in the body of Christ. This is Hebrew chapter 5. From Hebrew chapter 1, verse 5. It has caused real, real serious confusion in the body of Christ. For to which of the angels did they ever say, you are my son? It says, so the angels are not sons of God. You will see, who, you see that they are servants. They are not sons of God. They are going to see that you yourself, that are born again, you are higher than them. They are not sons of God. So they don't have the privilege of, of sons. They don't have the privilege of the family Members of the family. So, so which of the angels did they ever say, you are my son? None. Today I begotten you, none. And again, I will be to him a father. I shall be to me a son. Which angel is God is his father? None. So they don't have the privilege of, of family, of sonship. They are not heirs of, 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 the, of the things that the son has. All things committed into his son. Then he says, he says, he says, he says, to which of the angels did he say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of, the, of God worship him. So you can see that angels worship him. That means he's higher than them, he's God. But he says, today I have begotten you. Now that's the place that a lot of Bible scholars struggle. It's a major struggling place. What, when, how can, what, where, what is this today that God says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. When? When was that? Okay. It's simple. But the scripture teaches it clearly. In Philippians 2.9. Now let me even go to 1 Corinthians 15.20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruit of them that slept. You see, it was when he rose from the dead that he became the first of the sons of God. He became the first fruit of them that rise from the dead. All of us, we died in Christ and we rose in the newness of life. So he is the first one and we follow him. He died and when he rose up, he was not carrying sin, nothing. He didn't rise up carrying sin. He rose up as the great high priest. He rose up as Lord of Lords. And the Bible says he's coming back again not to deal with sins. He dealt with sin on the cross. He died because of our sin, paid the price right there. He rose up as our great high priest. And angels were worshiping him. So he's the first of them that rise from the dead. And so when you come to Christ, you die and rise. Another person comes in. So we're taking our numbers. So it was when he rose from the dead that God said, today I begotten you as my son. And so the scripture calls him, but now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruit of them that slept. If I can put New Living Translation, let me even see what he says there. You have New Living Translation. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. See what I mean? He's the first of the great harvest. We, we are people that are, God is harvesting. 
So he's the first son. We are sons of God. So that today is for heroes from the dead. Look at Colossians 1.15. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? We are created new in Christ. The firstborn of every creature. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? So he's the firstborn. We are created new in Christ. Hebrew 2.11. We're still going to read it. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He's calling us brothers. Brethren. Brethren. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. So all of us that are born again are his brethren. We are also sons of God. Or just as somebody say, are, are, are the sisters sons of God. Why not? The same way we are bride of Christ, not? The church is the bride of Christ. The same way. All of us, sisters, brothers, we are the bride of Christ. So when he rose from the dead, God said, this day, you have become the first of the harvest. You are number one. So now through you, the harvest is going to be coming. Through you, life is going to be given to them. Through you, new life, new life. Come on, new life. We line up, new life. Harvest. Harvest is plenty. Laborers have few. Harvest. Harvest of souls. Through him. So that's what that scripture means. So angels are not, they don't have that privilege. And they are not in that status that Christ is as the uh, son of God. He, he has many capacities. He's God, man. He's the son of God. He's the great high priest. Just like when he was here, he was operating in all the offices of the church. All of them. He was a teacher. He was a prophet. He was, he was pastor. The Lord is my shepherd. He was everything. Then, like we said, God instructed the angels to worship him because he's God. Face fruit of them that rise, but also he's God. So, so many capacities, depending on the role that he's playing in that, in that capacity. Verse 7. And of the angels, he said, who makes his angels spirits? And his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Verse 10. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hand. 11. They will perish. But you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. We can see, we can see incredible uh, revelation of who Christ is. He says, and of the angels, God himself says, he makes his angels spirits. 
and his ministers flame of fire. So Jesus is higher than the angels, higher than all ministers, all, ministers, all prophets, all evangelists. All of, you can't put him, they are not in his class. He's higher than all of them. He makes his angel spirits and his ministers flame of fire. But, there's that but. So the son, he says, thy throne, no God. See, differentiate Jesus from any prophet, from any angel. From, no, differentiate is right there. He makes his angel spirits and his ministers flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. See how God describes him? He said, yeah, angels, I make you spirits, ministers, flame of fire, you know. But you see, you see Jesus, he's God. So you can't put him in the class of a prophet. Some, some religions call him a prophet. No, you can't put him in the class of a prophet. You cannot. And he said, your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. Is the, sept, is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, calls him Lord. This is God talking. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. That's talking about Jesus. 11. They will perish, but you remain. And you will all grow, they, and they will all grow old like garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years don't fail. You don't change. You are God. This is God talking about Jesus. But let me say something here that is very interesting. If you have the Spirit of Christ, if you do have the Spirit of Christ, if you're giving your life to Jesus, and then the Spirit of Christ is controlling you. And the life of Jesus is, has dominance over your life. You will love what they love. You will hate what they hate. You know, Pastor Victor preached this some time ago. He, he mentioned something exactly like this. Some time, it's a long time he preached it here. He said, he said you will love what Christ loves and hate what he hates. Because it's, it's the same his Spirit that's working in you. What did he hate? What did he love? He says, he says, he says um, in verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. That's what he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. If, if it is the spirit of Christ that is walking in me, then naturally I will hate iniquity and love righteousness. But if I love iniquity and hate righteousness, then that's not his spirit. That's not him. And that's what he said, by their fruits you shall know them. You know, because today we have, we have defined Christianity in terms he didn't define it. Oh, we have defined it. We've changed so many things. We think that, you know, a good Christian is the one that does miracles. A good Christian is the one, jinjim, jinjim. A, a, good, a good Christian is the one that prays nonstop. A good Christian is the senior pastor. A good Christian is the one that is a, a deacon. And we fight over it. I'm a dick. They fight. 
They're fighting over. That tells you they're kind of, they, they fight over it because they think that it's important, that that's what matters. We define Christianity in so many ways. The one, we think the one that's ginger is the one that fasts a lot. All these things are wonderful. Nobody's condemning them. If you want to fast, please go ahead. Pray, go ahead. If you are a deacon, deacon, welcome. Deaconess, God bless you. Uh, pastor, well done. Well done. But Jesus told us who is a Christian. He didn't name all, this, all those things. He didn't. He didn't. He says it's their fruit. It's their character. It's their life. And he said, it is those who do the will of the Father in heaven. He said, my brothers and sisters are those who hear the word of God and do it. Not those who come to church and they don't hear the word of God. They don't trust it. You know, those who hear one and do it. He said, those are my brothers. Those are my sisters. Are we not listening to him? He's, the, he's God's voice in this last day. He's God's voice talking. He didn't define Christians the way we do. He said, he, said, he said, if you love, that's how they know you're my disciples. He didn't put any of these things we, we fight over. Didn't put it there. If you love, because I'm love. Say, when you love, that's how you identify yourself as a Christian. Say, but if you don't love, you don't know me. You don't know me. Brother, you know, I, I read, I think I listened to some, the church, Wesley, all these preachers in, that preached 150 years. They were lamenting, lamenting that many people are not born again who go to church. Many people don't know Jesus who go to church. They were lamenting it. This is 150 years back, 200 years back. And the scripture said, only few will find the narrow way. Who is Christ? Only few. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Litmus test. Do I love righteousness? Do I hate? Do I hate iniquity? Do I hate gossiping? Do I hate? Do I hate backbiting? Do I hate iniquity? Do I hate it? Do I love righteousness? Because that's what it loves. Verse 13. But to which of the angels has he said, ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for, to, for those who are, will inherit salvation. He's still telling us how Jesus is higher than the angels. That Jesus is the one that, that brought us salvation. And when he's finished, God, God says, sit. Sit now at my, sit now at my right hand. Said, no, no angel sits there. But you know who else is there? You and me. And then he tells us the ministry of angels. It's an amazing revelation right here. Verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits? What do they do? What do angels do? Sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. They were sent to minister to you and me. Minister for us. 
So what does it mean to minister? It means to serve. It means to serve. Serve us. To, to bring things to us. To serve us. See? Sons of God. In the kingdom of God. Members of his household. We have angels to minister for us. To attend to our needs. The needs of someone is to minister for him. Is to attend to his needs. To take care of someone and to serve. That's what ministry means. To attend to the needs of someone. To take care of someone. And to serve someone. That's what it means. So that's what angels are sent to do. Why? Because you're a hero of salvation. You became a child of God, members of his household, seated with Jesus in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers, far above all of them. Your spirit is joined with Christ. So you, have, you have been elevated above all of them. So how can a Christian be worshipping an angel? Calling on angel Uriah, worshipping him. You can't worship angels. We are sons of God. See what angels do. Psalm 91, 9. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee. Neither shall any plague come nigh that dwelling. For he has given his angels charge over thee. To keep thee in all thy ways. I, I read this scripture most, many times. Not all, every day. I read this scripture. I say, Lord, this is your word. You gave your angels charge over me. To keep me in all my ways. They shall bear thee up in thy hands. Let's that dash that foot against this stone. I said, Lord, this is your word. So I expect your angels to do that in my life. This is what you wrote. You have given them charge concerning me. You've given them charge over me to keep me in all my way so that I don't get hurt, I don't get this. You know, no plague. To, 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 he, put, he put a ring of fire around, the, around you. Protection around you. I, do, I say that, but not every day. But I say that. I say, Lord, this is your word. I expect your angels to do exactly what you said. Because I'm your child. I'm your son. I made you my dwelling place. I live in Christ. I'm in Christ. I'm not outside of Jesus. So this is my portion too. Sure. I should do that. Because the Bible says that's what God told them. That's what you talk to God and say, Lord, this is what you told them. So I'm, this is my portion. They should, they, they should do your work. That's what you send them to do in my life. Do it now. Daniel 6.22 My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth 
that they have not taught me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before the old grave. Okay. I've done no good. You see, God sends his angels to do things for us. To serve us. To serve us. Remember, to attain to our needs. Daniel needed to be saved from, from lions. God sent angels to shut their mouth. By the grace of God, I've seen angels. I've heard them sing. That's the day I realized that God really loves us. Because what I had, what we do in church is waste of time. What I had, can't even describe it. I've seen them. The time I saw six of them. They carried me. Three here, three here. From heaven. I saw the whole earth. From heaven. Brought me down to right to earth in my room. And they were, they were, is that the scripture? They were going like, woo, boom. They were turned like wind, boom. So the last one went and came back. Put his hand on my chest. He said, worship our God, worship our God, worship our God. So he went again, came back, put his hand again on my chest. He said, worship our God, worship our God, worship our God. Like we are wind, boom, he left. Angels are real. They are in church. When they are there. The Bible said, an innumerable company of angels. They come to church. Because they're there to, they bring answers to prayer. God sends them to do things in answer to your prayer. They're there to minister to us. You know, and God sends them to give you a message. Is it not an angel that went to tell Mary things? Went to tell Zachariah things? An angel went to Paul, gave him a message from the Lord. They bring message. If you want, if you want really to, to see these things more often, create environment in your life for miracle. Just, just walk at it. Create environment in your life for miracles. Because if we are living a life that, that quenches the spirit of God, how can the angels walk when the spirit is grieving over you? If we're living this life, we think we are smart. We're losing the greater thing of the kingdom. The greater thing of the kingdom. Let me say it again. If you want to know God, you have to go to the deeper level of encounter with the living Christ. That's true. You must go to that deeper level of encounter with the living Christ. That's what changes you. One encounter with him will change you. Peter was with Jesus and was with him. But when Jesus rose from the dead and showed up, the man changed. He said, depart from me, I'm so unclean. Oh, my God, what I'm seeing, I'm so unclean. The prophet saw God. He said, he said I'm finished. I've seen the glory of God. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. When you, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it will humble you like nothing. It will take away your pride completely. You haven't seen anything like that. You don't have to be dramatic. You don't have to see him vision or anything. You see him at work in your life. You see him do things in your life. You see him do something that is spectacular in your life. 
you know that this is the hand of God. Daniel said, for my God has sent his angel and has shot the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. For as much as before the innocency was found in me. And also before the old king, have I done no hurt. If you are going and doing quarreling, fighting, they're not, they're not sure enough. They'll be watching you. Fighting over this, fighting over that. So while you have fought the battle now yourself. So what are they doing? We must learn to create environments for God to work. We must learn to do that. So let's go to chapter 2. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we must give the more honest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Lest we drift, uh, lest we drift away. If, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who had him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, According to his will, we are being told not to neglect the gospel message. We must give more honest heed to the things we've heard. Can you put it in the New Living Translation? Let me see what it says. We must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift away from it. Listening, hearing, over and over and over. There are messages I bleach when I listen to them. Second time, fourth time I hear things I didn't hear the first two times. By the time I've gone ten times, mm, I loaded up stuff. Hearing is key. You must listen very carefully to the truth we've had, or we may drift away from it. Hearing includes retaining it. Meditating on it. Meditating, thinking on it. Why? Your life depends on it. Your life depends on it. Do not join the crowd. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receive the Joshua threat, how shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect? So great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who had him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. You see, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is according to the will of God. You don't switch it on. I've said it over and over. You don't switch it on. You don't do it because you are, you are senior pastor. You are, no, 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 no. It's according to his own will. When he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, where he wants to do it, through whom he wants to do it, to whom he wants to do it, nobody tells him that. We cannot afford to neglect our salvation. Child of God, the gospel is important. You must understand it. 
You must live by it. It must be the truth you live by. We just finished talking about the cement of salvation. First Thessalonians 5, 8. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. It covers your head, your head, it covers your heart in this case. For all these issues of your life come from there. It's a weapon, helmet of salvation. For instance, let's see a couple of things that our salvation offers us. Freedom from the power of Satan and sin. We are in Christ. We are free. <laughs> you stepped from the world. We are the, the God of this world is Satan. We are sin is ruling. Into Christ. We are Christ. It's, it's, in, it's in charge. Where is your Lord? It's a different kingdom. The moment you came into Christ, you've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, from the world, and brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I understand when we say we should make sure you make heaven. I understand because what we are saying, make sure you don't backslide, which is true. Because some people do backslide. But the point, point of the matter is that we are already in the kingdom of God. We are ready. We are ready. While you are working hard to make sure you don't backslide, do not forget that you are already in Christ. You are already in the kingdom. You've been delivered from the world. You are no more. You are not, you're in this world. You are not part of it. You are not under the, the God of this world, the devil that works in the children of disobedience. You are no more. You've been delivered. That's what part of our salvation is that. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks unto the Father, which had made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, who had delivered us from the power of darkness. That's what I'm saying. You were in the world. The God of this world is Satan. The Bible says the spirit that walketh in children of disobedience. That's where they are. But the day you came to Christ, you were delivered from there, and you are now in Christ in a different kingdom. Where is the Lord? The kingdom of God. You become a member of the family of God. You are no more in this place. You've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Child of God, live by these truths. Believe them. They manifest for you. You want to see it work? Only believe them. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of Edom? In whom? In him. In Christ. We have redemption through his blood and even the forgiveness of sins. Benefit of it. Some people still won't believe it. The gospel also reveals a new life in Christ. A new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Can we say it long enough? We can't overemphasize this fact. Some are still trying to change. But that's a waste of time. Because you are a new person already. God has done what needs to be done. You are a new person. What are you changing again? The old life is gone. Didn't you hear it? Christ is the voice of God in this last day. This is the witness of the Spirit 
about him. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God. It's not your effort. It's a gift from God. Why? The day you came to Christ, he gave you a new life. You, you died with him, rose in a new life, and the old life was crucified with him. But he said, I don't understand it. You don't have to. Just believe it. It works for you. Just believe it. Why? Because the Bible says so. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. He didn't give us the task of condemning people, calling them sinners and all of that. You know, we do some things thinking that God is impressed. They say, you know, ah, you have to tell them they are sinners. Otherwise, they won't see their need of Jesus. So you have become the Holy Spirit. Devising the means to convict them, right? I think, that, I think that preaching salvation is best when we preach it as the Holy Spirit guides you. There could be situations where he could lead you that way, but there could be situations where he won't lead you that way. As he leads you, you shouldn't make it a general thing, everybody. No. There could be people who will lead you that way to talk to them that way. There could be people who will lead you a different way, you talk to them in a different way. In a different way. In a different way. We can't use one method and generalize it and say, oh, that's what you have to do. No, it's not what you have to do. You do what he leads you to do. Because only him knows what needs to be done at the moment. So we have a new life. Old life is gone. A new life has begun. He said, Pastor, what do I do? Believe it now. Only believe it now. Stop the struggle. Just believe it. The new life does not do all those things you are trying to stop. The new life is the nature of God. Believe it. And you see your life transform. Because as you think in your heart, so you are. Believe it. And the gospel reveals a new righteousness given freely in Christ by faith alone. All these things are freely given. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. <laughs> everyone simply believes. Everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God to, to save everyone who believes. For the Jew first, also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The prophets pre prophesied about this righteousness that is coming. That righteousness of God, that God will confer on people freely. Isaiah spoke about it. There are many of them spoke about it. He said, now it's being revealed from faith. It is only by faith you receive it. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. He said, this is just by faith. You receive this new righteousness. Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Has it been revealed to you yet? Being witnessed by the law and the prophet. Let me make a statement here. If you don't have a revelation of this righteousness of God, your faith will be hindered. The devil would eat you like meat. I'm telling you, it's this righteousness that gives you boldness to go to God, gives you boldness to deal with all these demons. It's this realization of righteousness. The Bible says, we, 
our, that we our conscience is Christ that gives us our conscience. Because it's seen with trust for everything we do. If you don't have a revelation of this righteousness, the devil will pummel you with guilt, pummel you with fear, pummel you with all, he will deal with you mercilessly. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe. Just as simple as that. What is righteousness? God accepts you in Christ now. Righteousness is being accepted. For there is no difference. For all have sinned, everyone has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely now, we, we are justified, not condemned freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's through the blood he paid for our sins. He entered there for you and me and obtained redemption. He paid. Redemption is to go and pay somebody to take what, what he has, to pay somebody to redeem, to redeem something. He paid and brought us out of the kingdom of darkness, brought us out of judgment of God. And made us acceptable to God because our sins is paid for. Is it not our sin that was within us and God? So the, the, I just mentioned a couple of things that the gospel reveals to us, which we must not neglect. We cannot neglect them. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Paul warns us about neglecting the gospel. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received. And wherein you stand, you need to stand on it, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain, if you don't stand on it, if you let it sleep, you believed in vain, it won't work. If I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. He entered heaven for you and me. He died for our sins, according to scripture. There's not, there's not nothing Paul is talking about. Jesus died for our sins. He paid the penalty for you. The blood on the altar is what makes you pure, that God accepts you. And then God begins to walk in your life now. You have to be accepted first now before God can now begin to walk in your life now. If you're not accepted first, what is God doing? You don't have any relationship with him. Verse 4, and that he, he was buried and that he rose again, the third day according to the scripture. Paul said, this is all I'm preaching to you. That Jesus died for your sins. He took your place, paid the price. If you believe, you're saved. So if we forget the gospel truth, we have no other truth to live by. The inevitable thing will be to preach a Christless message and refocus people away from Christ and the new life and the things he provides for them to whatever we imagine and put burden on them to work harder and to please God without faith. Without faith. And it's impossible to please God without faith in Christ. Impossible. But because we neglect the gospel, let it slip through, we revert to religion, 
And then we revert to all manner of rules and regulations that we think will stop people from sinning. And we condemn them, hammer them, to make them stop sinning. Is it that that will stop people from sinning? Can they stop sinning without Christ? Can they stop? Is it not when they start trusting Jesus that he can start working together? Acts 17, 28. For in him we live, move, have our being. A certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. TPT put it like this. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity, just as your own poets have said. So we can't live without him. It's through him you live, through him you function, through him you have your identity. If we neglect the gospel, we, we, we forget that it is through him we live, and through him we function, and through him we have our identity. The only option now is to start preaching religion. It looks, it looks good because it, it preaches so much about what you have to do. This have, the, and where is the faith? Where is Christ in all of it? We start bombarding people with Christless message. That's not the gospel. Yeah, the gospel is the power of God that saves all from their sin, from the devil, from their character, that saves all that believe it. As simple as that. We must, like Paul, always want to be seen, to be found in Christ. For it is in him we live, move, and have our being. In him. Philippians 3.9. And be found in him. That's what you should desire. You want to be found in him. Describe yourself as the scripture tells you you are in him. In him you are redeemed. In him you are this. See yourself in him. Not having my own righteousness, which of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. That's Paul. We can't forget the gospel. We must want to be found in him. Verse 5. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man <laughs> that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hand. Now, here he's talking about us who are saved. But in this translation, they, they were quoting from the book of Psalm. Hebrew is full of quotations from the Old Testament. Hebrew, most of it is the Old Testament that is being quoted, the book of Hebrew. So he, he's quoting Psalm 5, verse 8, five, Psalm 8, verse 5. Yet you have made him a little, a, but a little lower than God. That's, the, that's what he says. We are a little lower than Elohim. We are sons of God, a little lower than Elohim. To tell you he's talking about you, you have crowned him with glory and honor in Christ. You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. It's in Christ we reign. You have put all things under his feet. Jesus put all things under our feet. All sheep, oxen, yes, 
the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord our God, how excellent, majestic, glorious is your name in all the earth. So you see this place is describing you and me. For he has not put the world to come, of which he speaks in subjection to angels, but one testified in certain place. That is certain place in Psalm 8 verse 5. Saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you, have, you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than God. You have crowned him with glory and honor. So it's a certain place is Psalm 8, 5. You see where God put us? You see where God put us? This verse is saying the same thing in, that Ephesians said in Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in sins, had quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and had raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. You see where we're seated? Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his... I think this is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. No? Ephesians 1, 19. Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to all us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly place, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and had put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So you see, the book of Hebrew is talking about the church. Put all things under our feet. Quoting Psalm 8, verse 5. God has restored us to a place for authority in Christ. That should make you shout hallelujah. We reign with Christ. We have been elevated to sit with him. Let me read it again. This is Psalm 8, 8 verse 5. It should make you very excited. Yet you have made him but a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Is it not what the book of Ephesians is saying? That in Christ, God has put all things under our feet. He's just talking about us, the sons of God. What authority we have, what a place of privilege we have, a place of honor that God has given us in Christ. You can't, you can't degrade yourself and be doing things of the flesh. Doing things of the world. You should stay where God put you. If you join the world, you are, you are defiling your glory. You are defiling yourself. You are lowering yourself. Verse 8. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all, put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things under, his, under him. Yeah. So he put all things on under our feet, but we do not yet see all things under him. It's not a contradiction. Why? Because we are still engaging in spiritual confrontation with the enemy, with the world, with the flesh. We are still, we've grown in this body. We are still engaging in that confrontation. And sometimes we are defeated. Sometimes we win. So, yeah, he has put all things under our feet, but we don't always live in that reality because our faith has not developed to grasp it and live in it all the time. So sometimes we, we, don't, we don't. We don't. We act as if all things are not under our feet. You know? And look at, um, 
Romans 8, 21. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even, through, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We, are, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't have to hope for it. See? So we're living in this imperfect world. All things have been put under our feet, but we are engaged in spiritual battle. And like I said, sometimes we don't, we, our faith does not lay hold on all these things properly. So we lose. We lose. And because of our flesh, we are groaning. But when Jesus comes, all these things will stop. The devil will put it away. We have a new spirit body. And then all the struggles we cease. Yes, everything has been put on that feet, but not, we have not seen everything on that feet, which is true. Not because it hasn't been put, but because we don't lay hold on it, all of it. Do we even lay hold on everything Jesus died to give us? And then because the devil is trying your feet, the world is trying you, the struggle that's going on. So we should lay hold on everything that Jesus died for us to have. It is your job it is my job. The Bible says lay hold on eternal life. So you lay hold on the new life you have. Lay hold on the righteousness God gave you. Lay hold on the, on the new life. You, lay hold on your healing. Lay hold on your deliverance. See yourself in Christ. You see, as you see yourself, as you see yourself, as you believe you are, so you will be. Always see yourself to found in him as the Bible describes you. And you see your life torn. To that. Learn to lay hold of these things, and your life will bring glory to God and bring fullness of joy to you. We'll stop here for the book of Hebrew. We'll come to chapter 2 to verse 8. Then um, we're going to continue uh, from here. Uh, not this Thursday. This Thursday is for prayers, but the other Thursday, the first Thursday in November. Now, let's pray, and we'll go and talk about healing. Father, we just want to thank you for these marvelous truths, revelations that you have been talking to us about. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful truths. Lord, I commit all these things into your hand that by your spirit, you help us to navigate them, to understand them, to lay hold on them so we can experience them for your glory and for the fullness of our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, let's talk about healing. Today, I want to remind us things because the scriptures say we should remind people there's no need hurrying to new things. We need to make sure that the one we're preaching is really, really, really embedded, grounded, bearing fruit. First Timothy 4, 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. If you put people in remembrance, in remembrance, it is important that we remind people of what has been taught. He said, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the word of faith. That's how you get nourished. When you remind them, when you go back to it, when you teach it again, when you talk about it again, 
they get nourished in the word of faith and of good doctrine. Why don't thou hast attained? Peter said the same thing, 2 Peter 1 12. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them, and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. So I'm going to remind you of this thing so that you, you, we eat it again. You not, do, do, you, do you stop eating rice because you ate it once? No, you go eat it again. Huh? You, you eat it again. You eat pizza again. You don't say, oh, I'm eating pizza no more. No, you eat it again. If, you, if you're a pizza eater, you eat it again. I don't eat pizza. So we're going to, to the scripture says to nourish the Christian that a good pastor reminds them, goes back and brings it up again. See, if you have not had it before, it is, the seed is being sown. But if you've had it before, the seed is being watered. Sowing and watering, very important. If we don't water it, it will die. So we are watering. If you have not had it, this first time you are joining, you are welcome. You are going to hear it. But if you had it before, open your heart and let, it, let the Spirit of God water it. So there will be a fruit of healing for you. So we're talking, see, see what the scripture says here in, um, in um, In Luke chapter 11, 34 to 36, I'm reading TPT. The eyes of your spirit, the eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. When your heart is open, the light floods in. But when your heart is hard and closed, the light cannot penetrate the darkness, penetrate and darkness takes its place. When darkness takes its place in your heart, fear will come, unbelief will come, defeat will come. There is nothing you do to handle this, except when, when it takes place, Christ is not the one at work. But when the light of his word enters you, then faith will come, joy will come. You will see it. You will see it. You will believe it. And the Spirit of God will, will manifest it for you. So that's why it's important for us. He said, when your heart is open, it's open, the light floods in. But when your heart is hard and closed, the light cannot penetrate, and darkness takes its place. Open your heart and consider my words. Watch out that you do not mistake your opinions for revelation light. If you have spirit bonds with light, fully illuminated with no trace of darkness, you will be a shining lamp, reflecting rays of truth by the way you live. We will show forth. We bring healing. If we see the light reflected, if it's healing, it will show forth. If it is, if it is freedom from sin, it will show forth. Because if you know the truth, it sets you free from whatever. So we need to open our hearts. Let me read it again. The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your, into your being. When your heart is open, and only you can do that, the light floods in. But when your heart is hard and closed, I've had it before, oh, I know what they're going to say. It's hard and closed. The light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. Open your heart and consider my words. Watch out that you do not mistake your opinion 
Watch out, you do not mistake your opinions for revelation light. If your spirit burns with light, fully illuminated with no trace of darkness, you will be a shining lamp, reflecting rays of truth by the way you live. Now, let's go and read this words of God we read before. Well, a reminder of them, Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely our sicknesses he had borne. I told you to meditate on it. Read it to yourself. Morning, afternoon, evening. Got to do that. Surely our sicknesses had borne, and our pains he has carried them. Remember, open your heart. Don't close it. So that in this light of revelation, he said, be, be careful that you don't mistake your opinion, what you think about it, with the revelation the Holy Spirit gives. Surely our sicknesses he had borne, our pains he has carried them. And we, we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, afflicted, and his peers for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace on him, and by his bruise that healing to us. Peter said, by his stripes, we were healed. This is the truth. Surely my sicknesses he had borne, and my pains he had carried. I told you to put yourself in there. Say it in the morning. Don't just say it from your head. Make sure you carry your Bible, whatever your Bible is, either iPad, phone, whatever. Make sure you are reading from me. Don't do a faith. No, no, no. Make sure you are reading from your Bible. Because sometimes we misplace the words. We don't get it exactly said it, and it's not the word of God. Make sure you are following exactly the scripture says it. Surely my sicknesses he had borne, and my pains he had carried them, and we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted, and his pierced for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities, the chastisement of, of my peace on him, and by his bruise, there's healing to me. I have healing. I have healing. I have healing. By his bruise, by his stripes, Father, I give you praise. Surely my sicknesses has borne, and my pains has carried them. And we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. And his pierced for my transgression, bruised for my iniquities, the chastisement of my peace on him. And by his bruise, there's healing. You keep on. Keep on. Lord, this world must enter so that the, the rail of this world, the rays it brings, will manifest in my life. The freedom it brings, the healing it brings will manifest. Be careful not to exchange your opinion for the word of God. Don't begin to give your opinion. My opinion is not important. Your opinion is not important. Just say exactly what God says. Then we said that this scripture is talking about healing because that's what Matthew said in Matthew 8, 14. And when Jesus was come to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand and he, the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them. 16. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirit with his word. That same word that God is sending to you. And healed all that were sick, that they might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah. So he's quoting this Isaiah 53. Saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So this Isaiah 53 is strictly talking about surely, my sicknesses, your sicknesses had born, and my pains has carried them. So you continue to meditate on them. And as we talked about Psalm 103 from verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. You can't stop. Man, you got to say this thing. 
Wake up in the morning and say them. In the afternoon, find a place, say them. In the evening, find time to say them. You want this rays of this, the, this light, the rays of this world to reflect, to show forth. You got to do it. It has to enter. It must go in. You know, who for, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all my iniquities? I make it personal. Who heals all my diseases? Who redeems my life from destruction? Who crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies? Who satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles? I do that. You do that. Morning, afternoon, evening. He said, Pastor, why three times? Do it. God told Joshua, do it that night. I'm telling you, do it more. Because you need to do it so that he penit- that life must go. It must go. If it goes in the ray, the ray begins to shine. Health begins to bump out. Come out of your body. And by confessing these scriptures, you hear them yourself. Again, the game, it helps to remind you, keeps it in focus. Until you guess where I should be. Proverbs 4.20, my son, attend to my words, incline thy ear unto my saying. Let them not depart from thy eyes. That's what you are doing and looking at it and saying it in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. Don't let it depart from their eyes. Keep it in the midst of their heart. That's what you are doing. Forget, forgetful hearers don't get nothing. For they are life, you see. Keep doing it, it's life. Unto those who find them. And hell to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it comes issues of life, including healing, deliverance. Out of it. Out of it. Keep it. Just fill it with this word. Fill it. Keep, keep, top, keep pouring it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. So you keep, keep focusing on it, your eyes on it. And some of you who are listening, who have been doing it, you will notice that your symptoms are beginning to reduce by this time. I'm sure. You will notice that those symptoms are beginning to recede gradually by this time. In fact, some of you are so encouraged, you are even doing more than three. Because you are beginning to see that, oh my God, this is working. This is really working, yes. It's really working. Do, do it now. By this time, some of you who are doing it are beginning to realize, wait a minute, this thing is reducing. Yeah. Yeah, the light is hitting is, is battle. So, one, 107 verse 20. Say he sent his word and he healed them, delivered them from their destruction. That's what the word is sent to you. Why shouldn't you meditate on it and accept it and say, yeah, Lord, I receive your word. You sent it to me. I got it. Psalm 91.4. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wind. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. His faithful promises. These words you are reading, they are your armor and protection. Now, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on healing, child of God. Lay hold on eternal life. Let, grab it. Go, don't let it go. Gra- Man, you're fighting for your life. Grab it with your two hands and say, this is mine. Surely he bore my sicknesses, carried my pain. Lay hold as life depends on it. You lay hold on it. Child of God, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on the healing Jesus has provided for us. Lay hold on the word of God. Take hold of it. Eat it. And Ezekiel said, I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth. Eat it. Chew it. 
dig it out. Fight. If you can believe it, it is yours. Faith is your victory. Praise the Lord. We will stop here. And remember what I said, the other Thursday is not Bible study. That Thursday is strictly for prayer. But you can keep, you can go listen to this and keep meditating. In fact, that's a wonderful time that you can really find time to, so, in fact, that prayer you should come with the church, find the common place and keep, keep hammering this thing. Lay hold on it, fight it out, say it morning, say, say, continue to say it. All the hour we're, we're going to pray for some time. We are going to be silent before the Lord as the Lord will direct us for Thursday. But it's dedicated to prayer. It's an opportunity for you to, to hit it and hit it hard. And then you, you will see that the word of God is here and amen. Let me prove over this one. Father, I thank you again for your word that has gone forth. It can't return void. Can't return void. No, it can't return void. Your word cannot return void to those that receive it. It works. That seed, when it gets into the heart, it produces for you cannot lie. You didn't deceive us. You told us the truth. I thank you for the privilege and opportunity to, to preach this word. Thank you, Father, for sending it out to me and to my brethren. There will be harvests of healing. For your word is true. I commit your children into your hand. Father, that you will walk in our heart. For without you, we can do nothing. Open our heart of understanding. Cause your word to have entrance into each year. And let it be a fruit. For it's your will for us to be well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.